Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, and welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Uh, recently, I started working with a company called Zoo Crypto Networks, uh, which is a company that uh, specializes in DLT, which is distributed ledger technology. Uh, today on the line we, uh, with us, uh, who we have is the chief technology officer. His name's uh, JP or John Felipe Badu, and uh, he's going to share why he joined the team, what's so special about Zoo, and how it's going to really impact the future of blockchain. But kind of before we get into that, I wanted to take a moment to kind of introduce who JP is. Um, he's worked in video games for an extremely long time. Uh, he's worked and researched national language processing for Luminary, a private American research lab. He cultivated an interest in machine learning and decentralized technology, which led him to co-found Serenity Technologies, uh, which is a technology incubator from which he launched numerous startups. And uh, he was one of the early enthusiasts uh, uh, behind blockchain technology, and he contributed to major projects such as the Bitcoin brokerage platform and marketing data analytics tools for financial institutions and all these other things. And that kind of led him to where he is today with uh, Zoo Crypto Networks. Um, so I, I know I took away a lot of your thunder, JP, but um, is there anything else that you kind of wanted to introduce about yourself and uh, your technological background and uh, what brought you to kind of become the CTO of Zoo Crypto Networks? Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned quite a few already. Uh, I think that uh, one thing that is uh, very peculiar with me and my uh, path into technology is that I started from video game, which was very, very far from machine learning and then uh, DLTs. Uh, I took interest because I'm a self-made uh, guy, so uh, everything I learned from uh, video game to uh, coding and then machine learning and then uh, asymmetric cryptography and all these uh, little gritty components of DLTs uh, were just learned on the way uh, on, uh, by doing it. And so this is why I'm generally not very academic in my way of thinking and of my way of doing things, which often helps me to find a neat solution to a complex problem. Cool. So, so I guess that this uh, will be something that defines me. Awesome. So you, you kind of talked a little bit about how you kind of went on the grounds to really learn the ins and outs of how all these technology works. I know most people, they kind of work through the traditional college system, go through school, then they learn, then they get put into a job. But it seems like you kind of took an alternative route to really go there. Um, is it because like when you first started working with technology, you kind of found a passion with what you were doing? Did you find it interesting? What really drove you to kind of diving deep into the world of technology and machine learning and DLTs and everything? Well, it, it really started uh, as peculiar as I am, I guess. Uh, it was quite a, quite a, a mistake. It, I was just called for help uh, for a friend of a friend that needed coding help. So it was uh, this single day where I tried to learn a new language because I kind of didn't know this coding language. I helped them and onboarded into their startup, and then it just started. It never stopped. We have founded two startups together, and then I migrated with new teams and new things. So it's just uh, 
If I could say, uh, we all say that we are passionate, I guess I would not be an entrepreneur in technology if I was not passionate. There's a very much challenge to get through. But, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, I fell in love with DLT, particularly uh, when I heard about uh, the concept at the, at the time, which was called Cotter Coin, which is not really existing now. We could Now we would say asset back token, which because the, the linguistic is changing all the time. But in the, in the first time, it was the concept of backing uh, assets in the real life with a virtual tokenization process was mainly done on Bitcoin blockchain at that point. So it was, uh, I think that when I realized the impact of what tokenization could mean for people, for exchanging between people, for the underlying economics of every human interaction, this kind of fell right on the spot on my idealistic self to say, I love tokenization, so I want to go in that. So it took me a little while to definitely jump into myself wanting to do project. I was still coming from an AI background, and I was uh, in my project at that time. But uh, two years ago, I decided to make the jump. Awesome. <coughs> Sorry. So for a lot of people who are listening, um, they might not be as technologically savvy as you. And I heard you talk about things like tokenization and DLTs. Um, could, could you kind of define that a little bit and kind of explain what all these things are so that a lay person, like uh, someone who might not have a technological background, understands why this is the technology of the future, what's so important about it, and how it's going to really help you drive its way into the future of the market? Well, tokenization, uh, as a first thing, is uh, it coming from a technological background, but uh, essentially it's more an economical theory. Uh, it is not really technologically oriented in the way that it represents how can you how can you put variables, number, incentive, and game theory through human interaction with anything. Other humans, other assets, other needs, even things that we didn't imagine yet. And tokenization is a way to share with consensus the benefit and challenge of everything. So it can come from reward, from loyalty, uh, from to trading, uh, to security, to owning your secrets. It has so much application that technically almost any industry that is currently existing could be eventually tokenized. It is not to say that it is always a good case to tokenize, and I think that even this term in this science is evolving as we speak now, so it's a bit early. A lot of people say that they have become tokenization experts. Uh, I would not say that of myself. I'm a passionate tokenizer, and I've worked on quite a few tokenization models. And in my way, I compare that to a board game in which everyone is a player, and then I try to define all of the rules, who is winning, why they are winning, what can they lose, and how can they cheat? So I always start from this perspective, and then you start to see everything as a game, and everyone as playing a game. So someone could say that tokenization is the gamification of economy. Cool. So if we kind of look through the web, uh, the generations of how the internet has evolved, Web 1.0 is you just put up a website. Web 2.0, you kind of do e-commerce and you communicate with others. Uh, web 3.0, do you see Web 3.0 really being this tokenization of where the web's going and uh, having platforms kind of moving into this direction? I think this is one component of it. 
the, the, I think that the main uh, consensus difference that uh, that everyone generally agrees uh, with uh, between 2.0 and 3.0 is that on one way you have a, a user interactive input world in which people input information, share information, a command or react to information, which give an idea of what is currently happening in the world. But the Web 3.0 is going one much more advanced step in which it's going to be integrable with all the Internet of Things. All the things that you have around us will be or are already connected. And in this way, we are approaching a reality in which the, the new application and the new business case that will be built on this will be built on what I would call the real truth. Truth that is correlated not just between a user that says what they want to be true, but between machines, action, behaviors, cameras, everything. So the world is going to be correlated in a way where truth is going to start to merge. So I think that when you start thinking about how can we monetize this new way where everything is connected, everything is integrated, I think that tokenization is definitely one path to go. I would not go out to say that this is the path because I think that there's a lot of other component contributing to this uh, explosion of the web. Cool. So it's just one component of the bigger picture. And as we're kind of moving from a web 2.0 to a web 3.0 and AI, machine learning, tokenization, DLTs, and all these new technologies are kind of in place. It seems like there's hundreds, if not thousands, of companies racing out there trying to be the first to kind of go out there and really shape the uh, new future of the world. Um, with that said, what kind of makes uh, Zeus so special, like with the company itself, the portfolio companies, the things that you're working on right now? What makes it so special to the point where you really see Massive user adoption, ease of use for the people who are using it, and what what do you see is that big picture where everyone's like, okay, wow, I'm going to go and adopt what Zoo is creating, and I'm going to be using that for uh, the rest of Web 3.0 at least. Not maybe not the rest of their life, but maybe the rest of Web 3.0 until Web 4.0 comes around. Well. Uh, this is a very good question. I think that I would have two angles of answer. There's an angle that is more personal and an angle that would be uh, more professional and technical. So uh, mm-hmm. on a personal level, uh, I am passionate about privacy, about security, and about all the challenge according to how we're going to deal with the data. So you mentioned 3.0 quite a few times and machine learning. So if, if, we, if we connect the dots, Machine learning is feeding on data. Web 3.0 is going to gather and expose more data than it has ever been. And when you see that, you can already figure out that AI is going to do uh, one big step forward in, in, in the next coming years. But there's challenge. And the challenge are like obvious because uh, people start to see it with things like such as uh, Cambridge Analytica, uh, political manipulation of data, uh, and the reselling, the resharing, and then what we hear every two days acts. So I guess that on a personal level, I joined the EU because privacy and dealing with challenge oriented to data is one main thing. Another thing that would make ZU uh, very different on a personal level is uh, the team, uh, the exec team, the development team, the thinkers. Uh, we are all different people. We're all different mind with uh, all, uh, all sorts of name attached to it. But point being, we all think differently. And this has gave us the ability to tackle, again, these challenges in a different way. 
to give an example, we are going toward privacy very, very deep with uh, the project name, uh, code named Muda, which is finally a secure environment for communication that is linked to other marketplace that's going to be managed from your secure environment which is a, a, a layer of component that is necessary. A lot of projects are working on different user-centric ID, security, or privacy. So we are jumping in the bandwagon, trying to give to people means of communication in a completely safe, resilient, and persistent way. Um, so this is something that can be massively adapted because it will be on the light with uh, a lot of features that will enable people to literally do much more then we anticipate we can do with email at the moment. So that's one example of the type of planning that we do. <laughs> we, uh, so we, we, we will go into all of these privacy sectors. So we are also working on projects with uh, cybersecurity and user-centric security. We are also working on these projects which concern tokenization because essentially... When you see what we do with Muda, we are a digital wallet that enables you your secure environment of communication. So from this point forward, we know that tokenization is possible from the root. So then how can we tokenize interaction in your secure environment that's going to be beneficial for everyone? So this is the next step of what's going to be released in coming soon. Awesome. So, does, does that oh, make any the... sense? Sorry, sometimes when I go, I, I go for <laughs> No, no, it makes perfect sense. You kind of laid out an entire roadmap, talked a lot about your personal experiences with um, how privacy matters to you so much, uh, kind of moved into uh, the uh, era where people are selling information, you're getting served up ads and all these other things, and kind of brought it back to uh, a lot of your passions and where you see this thing going. And you did mention a lot about what Moolah is going to be creating, which is a private network where people could really secure their privacy. Now, um, as a public figure myself, um, just someone who's been in the public spotlight for, I guess, since 2013, I, I watched a lot of my privacy kind of vanish over the years. And it's been quite a frustrating experience. And there's been times where I really thought about like just quitting everything, packing up all my bags, and just going and hiding off the face of the planet just so that um, I can kind of <laughs> recapture that privacy. And I mean, that struggle is real from that kind of perspective where uh, uh, I'm being forced into the spotlight. And I know you're taking a little bit more of a public role as well with your company too, with your new role as the chief technology officer of a company that's about to be publicly traded. So that's kind of putting you into this limelight more too. And as someone who values privacy so much, and I, I value it immensely as well, do you, do you see a lot of like struggles and challenges that you have to face to kind of get into that public eye that you feel that others should uh, shouldn't have to ever have to deal with? Yeah, well, a lot. To be truly honest, <laughs> I come from a I come from a private company background. I've worked with research lab and, and private people. It was always very discreet. So I'm not the type of guy that you will see in a five to seven or in a cocktail or in I go in events only when it's really important. So I've always remained very discreet on the scene. This is uh, my persona. So when I when it was offered to me to jump onto this public eye, it was uh, 
serious challenge to this intimacy that I like to keep, but I just decided that sometime in life you need to make jump. I believe that with the year we're going to do something incredible, and a, a public vehicle was maybe the best way to, uh, to approach a lot of people with this privacy. So it could have been done in many ways, but yes, it is a challenge, and it will probably remain so a challenge. Uh, so this is why people are going to continue to find me strange, but the important is that results are going to speak. Yeah, that's definitely the case, and um, we're, we're about time where we're going to have to hop off for a commercial break. Uh, if anyone wants to learn more about Zoo Crypto Networks or about John JP Bidu, uh, uh, where can people follow you and where can they learn more about Zoo at this moment? Pardon me? I, did, I didn't hear the question right. Oh, where could people follow you online and where could they get more information about Zoo and uh, the technologies that are being created? The best way for to follow me uh, for now would be NCU at the same time because I'm always almost speaking about the U would be my Twitter. So it's uh, at JonPhilippeBEA. So eventually we, we can uh, give that to people. So this is the best way. People can message me directly if I can. If it's an answer that I can respond to, I will. Perfect. And that's J-E-A-N-P-H-I-L-I-P-P-E-B-E-A. And you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. And we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Uh, me and John Felipe Badu have been sharing basically the roadmap for Zoo Crypto Networks, where it's heading, what's going to be happening with it, uh, his vision and passion behind privacy. And we've talked a little bit about 
two different things. One was tokenization and the other was this code project called Moolah, which is really going to go and eliminate privacy concerns for the regular citizen who's going out there. And I, I think what would probably be best is to kind of talk about the privacy climate of today. I know I've seen a big company called Facebook in court a lot recently just due to a lot of privacy issues, kind of like what you mentioned with the Cambridge Analytica thing that's a allegedly helped get President Trump elected over here in the States. Uh, I know there's other privacy issues with um, YouTube and other types of platforms, too. Um, What do you think is causing all these, like, privacy concerns with these big companies? And why do you think people are valuing privacy now more than ever? Well, uh, I I think there's two ways to to this question. Uh, uh, For example, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, they are well known. uh, It has been well documented now. Uh, Even Netflix is uh, getting out a very, very good documentary about it. Uh, The point is, this is a symptom, not not really the cause. I think that the cause comes back to the the data-driven model which is a cool thing that has been taught first, but has created the problem today. So if we speak about uh, companies like Google that I admire, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and all of these, these are freemium models that are based on the fact that you will give them willingly your data to use the free services. And the data and the immense, huge data that they gather became the main driver of their value. So then we had others and others, and everyone followed into this uh, big data play, even if it's far from over because it was just exponentialized from there. But still, we got stuck into a way where a few players have so much data about everyone that it becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous because you have the human nature. So, so when we say it collects data, it's just not my name and my email address. It's a lot more than that, right? Oh, no, 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 it's a lot more. It's uh, everything that you will text, uh, everything that you will go into certain email, depending on your provider, every action that you will do on Internet with your device, uh, every place that you're going to enter uh, is going very far now. So the, the correlation of data is, is huge. And uh, it gives very, very precise data. So you, we will probably be astonished at what Google's know about us. And this is just one example. We are the example that we talk about. We don't talk about uh, companies that are much more private and less known, such as Palantir or Recorded Future, that has been doing that for at least the last six years. Uh, they do it for the government, for security purpose and reason, which is a good thing. But uh, the, the quantity and the analytic of the data they have must be unparalleled. So technically, uh, we came into a world where we know everything about everyone. And now it has been used by human greed. You always have that. It's like in tokenization. Everyone will always try to cheat if it can advantage them. And then you have political concern. Then you have economic concern. Then you have a strategic concern. So all of this piled together create this bad faith environment in which data cannot stay in this state because we cannot trust huge centralized actors to keep them safe. So we see every day data that has been leaked. This is the tip of the iceberg. This is only the case in which a company didn't have any choice but to admit it. So, so theoretically, the, the case is much more serious. 
So theoretically, if I'm sitting around and I'm carrying my phone and I'm walking through my entire day driving from location A to B to C to D, one company is basically tracking every single one of those movements and they know exactly what I do every day. Then the next company is probably looking at my Facebook messages, seeing how I'm chatting, and they know how, what kind of personality I have basically by all the ways I interact. Then another company is like watching like what kind of uh, things I'm clicking on, what kind of websites I'm visiting, whether they're like happy shopping websites or like maybe like dirty and dangerous websites that are probably controversial, and kind of getting a recognition of exactly the type of things that I like and uh, what all these companies are kind of doing is like getting that information, figuring out how to best monetize that, selling it to the highest bidder, finding ads that are relevant to us and kind of creating this experience where we're being put into this little bubble of uh, kind of like ourselves and then uh, it just becomes so scary to the point where Every single thing we're doing is kind of being like monitored, watched, recorded, used, and um, this whole data stream is kind of like right above us, right? I think we are getting uh, out of this path. What you mentioned is exactly right. This is exactly it. Uh, the fact that companies share together these lists make the correlation. So if you buy any, if you're not Google, but you have access to enough database, you can achieve almost the same results. So yes, it is scary. But in, in some ways, tokenization and blockchain and DLTs in general is maybe one path that's going to diminish that because now there's new opportunity at privacy. There's no opportunity at security. And much more than that, one of the main drivers of all these things we just talked is marketing, cash, monetizing your data into what can we sell to people. So even that, using clever tokenization can be done in an ethical way where it will never expose per people data. So technically, now we are at this threshold where people need to think the paradigm over again and launch the next Facebook. Interesting. So basically, what we're trying to do here is um, we know that all the data is going to be collected, but what we're doing is we're not having it be collected about like a letter cam or a JP Badeau, but instead it's being collected from a, from more of an anonymous source since it kind of goes into the blockchain and the DLT technologies and everything. So it kind of makes the person completely anonymous as opposed to more of this is exactly how John Lee is going to be acting today or Sarah or whoever it may be. Yes. Exactly. That with a few acrobaties using a dis distributed means, you can also direct uh, people towards someone that you don't know just by being able to analyze a psychometric profile. So then you can, uh, there, there's a lot of way. I won't go too detailed because I guess it's too technical. But the, the, the main point about this is you can not reveal this data and just channel smart marketing toward the right person without the need to be spied by everyone. So, yes, that can be done. And if that is done, it will remove to this industry's biggest incentive to continue what is the situation now. It's status quo. Cool. So a lot of people who are probably listening to this probably haven't even given, like, too much thought about their privacy. I mean, we, we kind of get scared when we see, like, a company in court and they're talking about privacy issues and talking about what they can do to change it. But then... 
there hasn't really been any like solutions where everyone's like, oh, this is the go-to thing that I need to do to really go out there and recapture my privacy. And if I do this, then I'm not going to have to worry about any of those struggles anymore. Now, we kind of touched base about your, the code project, Moolah, that's kind of going to go out there and like recapture privacy and be completely anonymous. Um, do you see that kind of moving as a trend where a lot of people would be hopping onto this platform and kind of re- recapturing that privacy that they, they're so scared it's being taken away from them? Well... This is the, the, this is very right. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in my experience in security up to there, and it's limited to my experience, uh, people won't do uh, almost a squat to protect themselves. Uh, apart from some very uh, edge person that are either paranoid or have a, a work or a profession that they, you know, that oblige it. Technically, most of the people won't do anything. They, they expect the company to do it for them. They expect the company to not be act. They expect the company to stop sharing their data. So people are actually waiting for someone to give them a one-stop shop where they have almost nothing to do and they can say, oh, wow, I feel safe now because we like to be taken care of. And I think that one of the best trends in there is to understand that trying to educate people into privacy is going to take much more longer than getting them to adopt a one-stop shot to do it. Yeah, I can see that happening. And, I mean, privacy goes much more than our own personal data. I mean, it goes to, like, protecting our kids from, like, people who might be out trying to, you know, get them to send revealing pictures or to... have a weird conversation with them to maybe even our parents uh, making sure that they don't even get like an email where someone's trying to talk to them about buying into like a scam or maybe making a large investment or any of the other types of elder abuse issues that really happen around America. I mean, these are just two small things that recapturing privacy really helps for like the people around us, not to mention anyone who's really going out there and needing that uh, extremely sensitive information, such as like lawyers, therapists, healthcare professionals, and all these other um, people out there. Um, do you see that, um, do you see recapturing privacy as a way where one, private citizens are going to be able to really go out there and feel a lot more comfort instead of having that feeling that Big Brother, whether Big Brother is a large corporation or whether it's a government, uh, is kind of unable to like watch their every move anymore. And two, do you see their relatives or maybe uh, other people around them kind of being able to uh, live in a better place? And three, do you see any like real business use cases out of having a private situation where uh, companies and people can really take back that privacy? No, that's a lot of well, questions. Well, that's, that, that, that's a long question. Uh, uh, to be honest, uh, uh, I don't think that Big Brother is going to go away anytime soon. I think that uh, even with good user-centric security, they'll always find a way to either have you willingly or incentivized to do it. Uh, security still is an important concern on many ways, so it will never be totally skipped. But what can be uh, much more, uh, being much better, 
is uh, the way that centralization did deal with, uh, let's say, ideas, government ideas, medical data. Just uh, in Canada here, all these databases, all these information are scattered everywhere. And even when you go to see the next doctor, there's no, there's no guarantee that they will have access to your last data. And this is for almost everyone you're going to go like that. So some keep better records than others, but these records are all scattered everywhere with no link together. Someone considers centralization is a good thing. We should put it all together, but it's not a good thing because it's going to create big, big point of failure. So this is why I think that the biggest business opportunity out there is what I call user-centric security, meaning that the centralization of your personal information should always be tied to you, and you should be the one with the gears to share it with the right person. Cool. So if you kind of take this user-centric privacy model, then you kind of eliminate out a lot of those problems. And yeah, we do have those same issues in America where healthcare providers don't really uh, give information out in a way to each other that's easily consumable. And it does become a headache. And um, I mean, neither of our healthcare systems are perfect. uh, And data is a huge point of that. But I mean... Kind of bringing that user uh, privacy back to the person, how do you feel that individual person is going to be? Do you think they're going to be more empowered? Do you think they're going to feel more protected? Or what do you think are the benefits for the people who are kind of taking advantage of that, recapturing that privacy? Well, I think that one benefit would be the ease of dealing with uh, every piece of uh, government and all healthcare and or services that you want with your data. You don't have to search for it anymore. You don't have the chance to losing it anymore. But uh, if people going to feel secure, I think that there's too much of an assumption. I cannot know. I have this always uh, in my head, it always say no, people will forget about it eventually. They'll just ask it as a standard. So it won't be like a big deal for them to be protected. It will only be the, 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 the basic that any company can do. This is more like a, the way I see it. Cool. So uh, I know I know the project for Mula isn't officially out yet, and a lot of people who are probably listening want to really get information on when the products are going to launch, what's going to happen, and kind of keep up to date with what's going on. Um, do you have a way for everyone to kind of keep up to date with everything as of yet, or are you kind of working on one, or do you know what we're going to be doing for uh, getting people information in a timely manner, or how, how can people kind of be aware of when this thing's coming out? Because, I mean, you shared a lot of great things with privacy, and I think a lot of people would probably want to move forward with using something like that, but um, they probably do want access and a way to know when it's going to be coming out. Absolutely. I think that the best way will still be Twitter. Uh, the ZU Crypto Networks account is publishing updates uh, a lot of times. Uh, there will be a website that will be coming soon that will also list uh, roadmaps and timelines. And so this will all be disclosed as we go. Uh, this is a, a huge project with many parts into it. And so there's still uh, there's still time on to, to be on the market. But uh, we are getting there, and uh, you can keep informed anytime by uh, either my account or either ZU account and eventually our website. So if anyone wants to keep up to date with all the developments and the happenings that are going on at ZU Crypto Networks and with JP, uh, the, the uh, Twitter handle for ZU Crypto Networks is Z-E-U-C-R-Y. 
PTO. Uh, you can give them a follow, and then uh, any of the pertinent information about coming things will be kind of uh, on that page. Then Jean Felipe's Twitter is J E A N P H I L I P P E. B-E-A, and you could always find me as well at Mr. Leonard Tim on Twitter. Um, anyone listening, make sure to keep your eyes out for uh, Project Mula when it comes out. Stay up to date with the uh, updates with what's going on with Zoo and uh, learn more about the recent developments with what's happening over there. And also, um, coming out with the book, Ditch the Act, of Reveal the Surprising Power of the Real Youth for Greater Success in October. So stop by ditchtheact.com and take a look at the book and learn more about it. And we'll see you all next week. And I thank you again for tuning in for another episode of Grow Your Influence Street. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.